Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? is a funny thing because it's both the thing that you feel drawn towards when you don't feel well but it's also the thing that you know that makes it worse and and I saw another thing that said um the more comfortable you get with you and who you are the less likely you're gonna want to isolate because it does you know it, it it's effort to be who you are when you're you know, not kind of synced up. Yeah. Anyway, that's all just to say that when my kids have their aches and pains and two of my kids are real vocal about every single sensation <laughs> they ever have in their body at any given time. Like I can't think of a time where these two leave the house where I haven't heard my foot hurts, my shoulder hurts. I have a headache. My stomach hurts. It hurts when I do this, you know, and I, yeah. I believe it all. And yet I'm like, yeah, but if you stay home, I'm not going to let you be on a screen. So you're just going to literally be staring at the wall feeling bad. Wouldn't you rather go to school? Right. And be distracted? It's interesting. <laughs> but Gina, it has taken me to 46 to actually realize that. So there, like, Literally, like a year ago, I probably would have been like, you know what, I'm just gonna stay home and like, I have a headache. But like, it, now that I realize, like, oh no, I think it's also like time is slipping by. Like, I'm getting older. <laughs> We're marching towards death. Like, I gotta get outside, dude. And yeah, you know. So like, I I think it takes what it takes. But yeah, man, I know that um, this pandemic has created the sense that the outside world is dangerous because literally it was. So it is like a war in that we, I felt like we were in a war when, when this all started, it was two years ago this month. Right. So, right. I came to visit and then all to you and then all hell broke loose. And, um, it, yeah, it created this thing of like the danger is outside the home. And so now it's like so easy to, but I actually realize that I feel worse at home because not only then do I have a headache, I have to deal with my fucking dog who's a pain in the ass and get triggered by my husband who I think should be doing his job differently. And I hear him because we're in a teeny house. So that's torture. That's worse. What are you talking about? That's terrible. That is no good. My corollary for that is just, I do spend all of my, I mean, I do my, everything I do is, is at my house. I take care of my house. I take care of my kids and then I write and, and work, work on, you know, artistic stuff. When you're home and your office, I don't, maybe Miles experiences this too. Like you don't, you're never not at work in a way. Right. So you're, I, I gotta do some, I, I, I gotta do something to have more of a separation. Maybe I should just like, did you, did you see what about Bob when he, he worked from home, yes. but he clocked in? Yes. Maybe I should so, do that. <laughs> well, the other thing that I, I was thinking, so I, okay. I thought about this cause I was asked, okay. So I, a, a friend of mine said, I have this free thing for stitch fix, right? One of these boxes. Oh, mm-hmm, yep. Okay, right. I've done those before. I did Dia and Co. and whatever. It lost its luster. It's a waste of money eventually, it feels like, and it's ridiculous. Okay, but 
Good good news about Stitch Fix is that, or one of these services, is that one, I, I love the jeans they sent me, but two, you have to leave the house to return the things you don't want or you pay for the things, right? Okay, so that's a side benefit. And so that got me out of the house. And three, I'm wondering, and I was like, oh, maybe I should send my code to Gina. But then I'm like, Gina doesn't like to shop, right? And Gina doesn't like, so they do the shopping. But you also don't strike me as someone who would want to dress up for our meetings. <laughs> exactly. And I did Stitch Fix. And oh, you did? I did it for a while. And then I was like, well, what am I <laughs> getting dressed for? This is a big conundrum I have just at life in general. And we should tell our listeners that, you know, we're, we're contemplating recording, doing a video recorder, recording of these podcasts, which will be great, but then it'll make me feel like I need to, but maybe, but maybe it's okay to feel that way. Maybe it would be actually really good for my mental health to be like, I have to get dressed for my day. I think it helps me. Um, I mean, look, I'm literally wearing a tank top and a bra, but like a I, bra? No, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. No, and pants without an elastic waist. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I think it helps me in that. And some days it's just a pain in the ass, but it also helps me to think that yeah, at least I'm trying in some area of my life, which we're all trying in all areas. But I'm just saying it's a visual representation of the fact that like. Oh, I'm trying. The other thing about co-working that I like is I get to see other people's outfits and sometimes they're really cute. Sometimes they're fucking horrible. Like so it, it there's a lot of like 20-year-olds that are here at co-working because or t- maybe 25. I'm a little old so I like age everyone down, but like uh 25-year-olds that um cuz you can rent big offices here too like for companies like marketing companies. So I see the fashions of the 25-year-olds and I'm like whoa, Mm -hmm. you are opening my eyes to a whole hellscape of fashion that I did not know existed. Girl, it's so bad. What is happening? It's all so bad. It's all so bad. By the way, before I forget, the, the getting dressed is, is the, the reason to do it is the same reason to make your bed every morning. Like you don't have to sure, but doing it creates a nice demarcation that you're not always just, you know, in this miasma of like doing the same same thing but yeah getting back to the fashions oh it's all <laughs> terrible and i just watched this documentary called fake famous mm. you might really like it it's it is actually so fascinating it's a uh some guy who i'm not sure if he's a journalist or whatever but he speaks all of the time on news programs about social media. Like that's just his area of expertise. So he says the social experiment where he, they have a casting call where the, the casting call says, um, asking for people who want to be famous. So they get 4,000 submissions. And it's, is it called the theater school? Yeah, no, it's not called the theater <laughs> school. And of course, you know, they paid these people to do it uh, you know, inverse of what we did. And they pick these three people who want to be famous. And he was, he set out to use his knowledge of social media to make them famous, artificially famous. And it was so interesting. It's a, it's something, it's a culture that I knew about, like, but I'm not, I don't participate in Um, influencer culture. Right. And I don't know if you saw this thing I posted that 
40 million people in the world have a million or more followers. Yeah. Like that really puts things in perspective, Yeah, you know? And, um, and, and it was also talking about how the algorithm shapes itself. So like, I'm also reading this book about Alex Jones and conspiracy theories. And, mm-hmm. you know, he will say on his show, he'll say a, a lie and then he'll say, Google it because he's got millions of listeners and millions of listeners Googling something makes it shapes it into something, right? right? Like you can make it true, makes it true. You can literally impact the truth. It's It's gross, but it's also, it's like literally how for me, yeah, it's like how Hitler got to power, right? There was no Google, but it is the same. Like if you believe it, it will be so on some level. And if 40 million people believe it, it will really be so on some level. Yes. And if they tell us that earth tones and no patterns and no structure to garments looks good, this eventually will believe it. And they probably are doing it because there's a glut of earth tone fabric and people are trying right. to, right. But, but I, I haven't seen something that I would consider a cute outfit on a person under, or maybe even anybody, but in years, like going yeah. to the mall, I don't say, Ooh, this is great street. Never, style. never. It's it all just it, looks it, ugh, gross. I went to, so I walked down my street uh, to get to co-working, and there's an H and M there. And I, and also when my niece was here, we went to H and M because they love that shit. And I, I, I was like, um, literally, this is all forty shades of putty, like putty. <laughs> 40 shades of putty, I said. And she goes, what's putty? And I go, it's this color. 40 shades of putty is my new memoir. And it's all about this color scheme they've got going on, right? Like it is literally putty. The putty that came in the eggs that we used to play with. Silly putty or whatever the fuck. Silly putty, wood glue, uh, Um, like coffee grounds. Hey, let me run this by you. places i guess that instagram is a very popular instagram spot by the way people do whole vacations that are just centered around where to have their picture made like not even thinking about the vacation itself like people come to la oh yes ma'am people come to la let's say they had this one story on there two girls from they might have been from russia now that i'm thinking of it came, you know, spent $2,000 or whatever on their ticket to come to LA. And it was literally just uh, touring these selfie spots. One of them is the Paul Stewart building. There's a big pink, it's a Paul Stewart, it's fashion design. And there's just like his store. It's a huge, huge, huge pink wall. Oh, And this is where people at any time of day, you could drive by it and you're going to see people taking selfies there because it's an Instagram spot. So people come to LA by the droves with a list of selfie spots. (laughs) This is like fucking Pokemon people situation. Like, wait, okay. Like by dying because you're doing Pokemon while you're driving. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So I guess you don't see too much of this then. No, not in, especially not in Pasadena. I guess I can't imagine. No, it's a fucking suburb, dude. And, uh, and, And I would also 
Oh, but I did see. Okay, so Miles surfs, right? And we, well, he's a no surfer. I shouldn't, he's not like Kelly Slater or whoever the fuck. Anyway, the point is, we went to his surf lesson once, and I fucking kid you not, there was a guy who I believe was speaking Russian on the phone um, at the Santa Monica parking lot at 7 a.m., beach parking lot, with his Mercedes that was rented clearly. With a camera on a fucking tripod, taking selfies at 7 a.m. with a rented Mercedes in a crazy outfit. There you That's go. That's what he was doing. And, and and me and, and Miles and I and, and, um, and the surf teacher who's fucking hilarious, who's this stoner comedian named Jared, who is hilarious, um was like yeah dude yeah dude this is this is this is it man this is how they do it they like stop traffic and and i didn't know what he was talking about but now that you're saying it this is what this guy was doing and i he was unabashedly doing it so like there was no embarrassment i was like what the fuck and music was playing it was videos too like instagram videos reels or something his fucking he was playing rap music which was the best thing about the whole thing was the music, but he, it was, and he was crouching down, Gina, like by the car in an outfit at 7am. And Doris was, I was with the dog and the dog was like, even the dog was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like what? I could never bring my, first of all, I like just taking a selfie. I have to do it usually with one of my kids. And even then it feels it, 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 something about it feels wrong. And did you know that you can rent the a space that looks like the interior of a private jet for $50 an hour so that you could take pictures and make it look like you are traveling someplace? <laughs> Which is like my nightmare because I'm afraid to fly. I'd go to, I'd be in hell, but okay. Oh you can rent God. a mansion for $600 in a day and have, you know, these Instagrammers, they get together like four or five looks and they rent out a mansion and they pose themselves in these ridiculous things. And then they, because they post, they have to post four times a day in order to stay relevant and to get brands that want to, you know, sponsor them or whatever. Yeah. So they are just constantly going around looking for content. And then the pandemic happened. And I think that really gave rise to like renting these spaces because they couldn't actually go on these vacations and so forth. Isn't that wild? It's just This is the craziest shit I've ever, I'm going to watch this documentary. Fake famous. So I, um, it is again. It, it. I know why you find it interesting too, is because it really reminds me of Adam McKay's work. Like, what yes, is happening? Exactly. It's so meta. It's like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> so wait meta. a minute. What is happening? Well, ironically, I think one of the things that's happening is, whereas you know, initially the feeling about the internet was just made everything opened up, right? And it, that's still true to to a large degree. But in another way everybody's life is just about their phone. You know, your life takes place on this tiny little screen and, and to be in a group of people under, I mean, maybe not even that, maybe just to be in a group of people is to see like 80% of them at any given moment staring at their phone, wherever they are out in the world. Right. They, one of the scenes in the movies, they, some company hires a bunch of influencers 
it's a junket essentially like they take them to these selfie spots including a abandoned water park that's like a that's like a great place to take selfies they get this crew of girls and they just take them to these various spots to model this ugly putty colored clothing okay. and then get paid what? for brand you know for hashtagging yeah. the brand in their it was just like so depressed. I just, I felt sick after watching. Yeah. It was just so yeah. depressing, right? There was one guy who did not. He decided actually of the three people they picked, two of them quit during the experiment Good. because one of them uh, was getting comments from his real because the guy was buying them followers. That's what he was doing. He bought them followers, which are all these bots. Yep. And did you know that like people like Kim Kardashian who have whatever millions and millions. It's estimated that 60% of their followers are bots. I, 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 I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yuppers. Yep, yep, yep. So I I guess I can't even <laughs> I can't even process what's going on here today. Like I I I you you can't people can't see what they will once we start recording these bad boys, the video. I like looked down at my fucking Tiva sandal. Okay. My Tiva's okay, by the way, by the way, I was wearing I bought Tivas because my feet are fucked up, right? And I had to wear I got I have two shoes now I can really wear, which are Hoka's and then Tivas. All right. A terrible, terrible situation. But anyway, I'm wearing black Tivas sandals that I wore literally wore in eighth grade and then I have a fucking LL Bean like throwback at is it an Adirondack? I don't know what the hell Adirac. Adirac, not an Adirondack. <laughs> Adirondack's a chair, right? But and, yeah. and, and, okay. And it has like kind of 90s throwback colors. Not on purpose. I just liked it and I bought it has a hood. I'm fucking wearing that some jeans and my Tevas and I look like I'm going to summer camp. Right. And I'm in the co-working and these young, these young ladies go, Oh my God, we'd love your throwback nineties outfit. And I was like, <laughs> literally they said that. And I was like, Oh my God. I, Oh my God. And I didn't play. I, I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, Oh my God, they're one. They're right. I, I, I literally looked like I was going to camp echo, which is the camp I went to the Y camp. And I also was like, it's also kind of hideous. And yet these youngsters are thinking I'm doing it. Ironically. Let's, I, I... let's, let's give up. Let's... <laughs> Let's just give up. Let's kill ourselves. Let's wave the white flag. I tried, Lord. Oh, Lord, I tried. I, tried. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. And then I looked down and I was like, oh, my God, they're so right. And I just smiled and I was like. Are they literally oh, your Tevas from eighth grade? Like you literally still have your same Tevas? No, I bought well, new ones. Bought new ones. Because, okay. Okay. because my feet hurt. Yeah. And I thought I need sandals that are. You're Literally, this is so sad. It's so sad. And I, I, I was sitting at co-working and they walked by and they said that. And I looked down and I was like, I, I did, I did feel Gina. Like I, I just, I gave it's up. It's time to give moment. up now. <laughs> We're all set. talking to Mickey O'Sullivan. Mickey O'Sullivan is a Chicago actor. You know him. You know him from The Shy 
and from Chicago PD and actually so many television shows I, I couldn't possibly mention them all here as well as theater and commercials and he is a related and relatable insightful funny warm talented person so please enjoy our conversation with Mickey O'Sullivan No, no, it's great. It's great. It's in a good way. Um, you will see that my internet goes in and out. It's just the, the thing. Yeah. Are you close to your router or you I, can't I, get I, any I don't even know where the router is. So there we go. What's the router? Oh. <laughs> good point, Mickey. Good point. Oh, uh, nice uh, flex there with your Peloton in the background. Oh, yeah. Check that out. I just like slid it over. I've got it on one of those Lazy Susans right now. This is my current. <laughs> and it just... It, do you have it on a lip? Is there I a literal it. lazy I love Susan? It so much. There's yeah. a lazy Susan on the table, and you know how you got to kind of prop up your your laptop so you're oh, not oh, like. Oh, oh, oh! Eh. I thought you had the Peloton on a fucking lazy Susan, and I was like, <laughs> that is so that would be next level. That shit. is adding a whole new dimension to that workout, so, which is already very difficult. <laughs> I was just filling Gina in about the things, which is interesting that you popped on, so I can tell, I can say it in front of you and make you really embarrassed. So, um, in a good way. So, um, I was just saying, and we'll 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 start with the official Gina. Opening, even though you left theater school, still the same opening applies. Yeah. Um, so say it. C- congratulations, Mickey O'Sullivan! You survived theater school. Hey. <laughs> so Mickey, you deserve a cookie. You deserve a cookie and um, all sorts of things and free therapy and. Um, uh, oh my gosh! Please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all need that. But I was just saying that one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, and we'll just dive right in. See, Gina and I talk before our guests, so we're like warmed up about like psychological issues. Other people are like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you starting here? But here's how I have to start, because this is what I've realized lately. You're the only male identifying person that I've ever talked to that talks about body image. Oh, the only, oh, I have sure. never had a conversation where casually come up in conversation, your history of your relationship with your body as, as you, from a kid to an adult, no one ever talk, male identifying person has ever talked about that with me. And it, I, it opened my eyes to like, oh shit, oh shit. Men have body image issues. I did. It didn't even occur to me. So that's where I want to start. Good morning to you. No, I'm also kind of jealous, right? So I I listen to your podcast and you do, you get like a real ramp up. And so this morning I was like, you know what? I need this a little bit. So I, you know, I drove the wife to work. I have a wife. I say the word wife, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And I'm also a chauffeur, which I love being. I like to be of service. So I'm driving her there and I'm trying to have conversation to like warm up, you know? And she is so focused on work that it's like. <laughs> she's like, uh, yeah, uh, anyway. Can you bring me to, to Starbucks work. real quick? <laughs> yeah, she's like, that's all good. I didn't sure. listen to the last 10 minutes you said. Yeah, I mean, so so I, I'm glad that you, that was nice of you to do a ramp up, um, but no need. But but um, but also, can you talk a little bit about, and then we'll, le- that, that'll probably lead into acting stuff too, obviously, yes. and schooling. But like. What was your experience? Because you've talked about that. Like, I guess my first question would be like, what are the thoughts when I bring that up about 
a, a dude talking about body image. To me, it makes total sense. And I'm also kind of shocked that more people don't talk about this. I mean, growing up, right, like, yeah, kids are cruel, um, for sure. But like, it's kind of very uh, insidious the way that uh, guys can be cruel to other guys. And also this idea that like, in order to be attractive to whoever I'm, uh, whoever I'm like crushing on, like starting from a real young age, is I better look like these people. And when we were growing up, those people were athletes, right? Mm. It was never like Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Like it was never like these like really super intelligent, or if it was, it was like Bill Gates or something. And I don't know, like there was, there's this disconnect between masculinity and like being okay with your your body and your body image and the way that you give off your image to other person, people. So much so to like this day, I still struggle with it on a daily basis. For a little while there, I was like, you know what? I think I understand the key to Hollywood success and that's the six pack. Right. And the really fucked up part was that the more, the closer I got to that goal, the better my career got. And I don't think that the two are linked. I don't think so. But I think that like being, having to think that as somebody who's who understands the industry pretty well um, and who has kind of had highs and lows in their career. Um, if I'm thinking that, then what is, you know, the version of 15 year old Mickey who's like, oh, I wonder what being an actor is like thinking. And so that starts super young. Um, but I was also, and I, I, stop me if you have questions, but I'm going to go on like a no, real no, tangent you, here. Yeah, sure. Um, so very young, right? Uh, actor on a baby soap opera before image is even a thing right like before you have any concept of that you give off your image to other people uh, i don't remember any of it obviously right and then parents separated i come to chicago uh dad stays in new york me and my brother are growing up my brother is always super thin super smart and i am always not super thin and not super smart either and so there's this this kind of competitiveness that's going on right there but in order to fit in my brother developed a real good sense of humor at new school very young and I didn't I was I I struggled to acclimate to like a new environment um and I guess I I don't know necessarily that I I think that I wanted to tell myself that I had a eating problem growing up but I don't know that that's true. I don't think I understood food or my body or energy really well. Um, because later on, I started getting into athletics, probably out of this complex, right? But I started using food for fuel. And, and that kind of started my my journey towards like understanding my body and understanding what goes in there. But as a kid, it was like, if it's in the, the cupboard, I'm going to eat it. And I am a very energetic person. And so I attached myself to like food, energy, just keep going. But then when you're getting made fun of on a daily basis, energy, uh, emotions take like a, a lot of energy to process. And so I would come home and I would be in tears from, you know, being, they called me Chubica. My brother's name is Dunica. And oh they like, God. you know, the, the terrible people uh, <laughs> that are children. Um, so I was always known as like, what is the one thing that is different between you and your brother? And it's, right. well, you're fat and you're not. And 
and yeah, like that's again, going to the career. I, I, I it's awful. But wait, I have a question. Was your family? Yeah. I always wonder this because my family was not supportive. So, so um, um, I was bullied at school, and um, I was also bullied at home. Were you bullied by your brother and your mom, or no? Oh, for sure, my brother. Um, okay. like we were awful to one another. The fact that we have a relationship now and like a really good one is is mind blowing. But yeah, we were awful to each other. My mom, not so much. My mom always struggled with her body image and her weight and her reflection of herself. And, um, and I think still does to this day. Like I remember like some of the conversations before our wedding was like for both her and I like, you know, gotta start to trim up for the wedding, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I don't know if I was bullied at home as much. I was, it was definitely a safe space for me coming home. Oh, good um in that regard uh but my brother around his friends it would increase a bit um and then of course that's like a role model to all of my friends or whatever and then I just started hanging out with people who like probably weren't the best for me because they weren't making fun of me right but like you're gonna go best for me because right I mean I think that it's like we go, I'll speak for myself, I went, you go where the, the teasing stops, right? Whoever's not going to go where the love you. is. Yes. Right. And the love. Even if can, that's an absence of love. Right. I See, I always say, like, I didn't necessarily want to be um, not, if once I realized I was just going to keep being bullied, I then just wanted to be left alone. So whoever would leave me alone, if not mention it, became my friend, even if those people were freaking had troubles of their own. I mean, like were troubled, at least they weren't picking on me. Right. So it's like you start settling for more and more, less and less love. And like, you just want to disappear. I mean, like that's what happens. Do you think that that led to you being uh, an artist in the sense that you started focusing more on self through isolation? Do you know what I mean? That's a great question. I started, yeah, I think that what happened was it led to uh, my brain and heart madly trying to figure out why this was happening to me, why I was being treated this way by school and at home and what I could do that was safe. And the only thing to do that was safe was make believe and create in a world where, yeah, where it wasn't about the way I looked. Because, mm-hmm. you know, but then you mix. Except up. until it totally was. Yeah. Right. Except, <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say, except when you then go to a theater school. So there you go. Yeah. 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 Super weird how that kind of comes into the mix, right? Um, yeah. Huh. So I, I'm being quiet as you're talking, Mickey, because you're describing a dynamic that is happening in my house right now with oh. my two sons. And. And and you're so you're the you're the grown up version. I'm really happy to hear you have a good relationship with your brother because this is like one of my biggest fears. I had such a terrible relationship with my sister, and my sons are on their way to you know how it seems to me is they're on their way to having that type of a relationship. And maybe it's the thing about you know because kids are like pro- I forget sometimes how much they have to take on in any given day maybe even 90% of it at school is social and only 10% of it is academic but that's that is so much it just just like information processing and it has to happen 
in your body. So if you're having a hard time with it and then you're having, you know, body image issues on top of it, it's, it's all, it just seems like impossible to survive high school. <laughs> you know, like how does anybody survive high school, let alone theater school? But how old means, are your, your sons? Oh, if you don't mind me asking. Uh, no, 15 and 13. 15. So uh, part of the pandemic was they were being judged on totally. this while they're yeah. going through like fucking hormones yes. and yes. you know so yeah. that's brutal yeah. i could not imagine completely completely brutal and that's a whole other thing about education and the pandemic and how like we'll never get it back like you know it just mm. lo- there's just lost years basically but anyway so when did you start getting into acting when did you decide that that was something you wanted to pursue um, all right. So like alone, personally, like walking home from school, right, that that mind was already there, like my entire life. I was like, I'll be an actor. Not that I wanted to, but like, oh, that seems like like I was the liar growing up. I was the storyteller. I told the fucking biggest fibs in the world. <laughs> and so I think like in my mind, but then it was like, oh, I'm very distractible. And I this is how I knew I wanted to be an actor was that like, one day I'd be like, wow, I could be a doctor. Oh, I could be a firefighter. Oh my gosh, garbage man. Why not? Right. And then the idea, like I'd maybe like work on that for like a day. And then the next day I'd be like, oh, I'm so interested in this. And I think later on I was like, oh, you know, it's a really cool way to learn about all sorts of these little things is just kind of like spin the wheel of roulette acting you know, go out for tons of commercials. You get to play a handyman for a day. And for me, like, I personally love the pretend of like, oh, I wonder what a handyman's day's like. Yeah, um, you were, you were, that's what I remember about you is like a super curious kid, like super curious. And maybe like, that's part of the artist's brain too, is like, you were always curious, 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 a hundred times curious. So what, okay, so you were like, that was your thought as you're walking home. And then how did that translate into like, being in a play or auditioning for shit? Or like, how does that work? Or going to school? Yeah. Um, definitely thought right like funny person was my option in terms of getting out of like the social anxiety Um, and so my mom got me involved in a play I think in like sixth grade but it was outside of my social circle it was like uh, we were on like the southwest suburbs and this was way in the south suburbs and so I didn't know anybody their only relationship to me was this thing I played a skunk in a Winnie the Pooh play and then I proceeded to like rip my pants and fart in my only scene. So that didn't go <laughs> super well. <laughs> but you were a skunk. But that, it's perfect. It's perfect. That helped, that helped the whole shitty body image too thing. Cause right. Cause who splits their pants? Right. Miley Cyrus, actually. I mean, anybody Miley can Cyrus. split their pants. Anybody can, but it's like a <laughs> you're like, it's yeah. me and my fat ass, you know? Okay. But when it was time to pick college and you were looking around, did you look at a variety of theater programs or conservatories? No, I don't think that I, I admitted to myself at that point that there was like a valid career option. So um, my senior year of high school, I had this like real stint in hockey where like I thought that that could be a career path for me. And then that was ended through like a a variety of like injuries and, you know, life personal stuff. And so then it was like I had a theater professor pull me aside and was like, um, hey, not professor, but high school teacher, special ed teacher who then uh, ran the drama program was like, 
hey, maybe you should consider doing this with your free time instead of just like smoking pot and smoking hookah and like driving around with your newfound free time. And I was like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. So I did like Beauty and the Beast High School uh, as like, you know, this like uh, side character kind of, right? Like not in the limelight. Yeah. And then later on did uh, Shakespeare Comedia del Art, which we just totally ripped off of uh, the American Conservatory Theater's production from we like copied it move by move and called it acting. Uh, and then we won state for that, which is kind of backwards, you know, like we won state for copying a production. So I definitely thought I was, you know, good, but I didn't think that I was any good at like creating my own yeah. kind of versions of characters or anything. So I knew I had to apply to a school. I had no idea what I was going to apply to. That seemed to be what I was good at. So I did a double major um, in special education and in theater because I didn't think that A, my parents would approve of me being a fully theater student. And then B, um, I felt like maybe it was either a selfish career path or, um, yeah, I'm not, like, I think I wanted something more noble maybe. Um, and I had experience working summer camps um, for Special Olympics and stuff like that growing up. So I was like, oh, that's a, that's an interesting thing. So then when I got to Illinois State University, they were one of the schools that accepted me. I had no concept of what a theater school should be, none whatsoever. And a lot of the other people were like, oh, I did four years of drama and four years of forensics. And in the summers, I go away to theater camp. And I was like, I played hockey. <laughs> and so I didn't fit in again. Right which was fine because I learned how to be by myself. And so I started making all of my social circles outside of the theater department for the most part. And I think in a way that kind of helped me, like I practice my monologues in front of my buddy, Greg, who I, I think Greg does like computer science and he would just go, <laughs> I think that was good, you know? And so it really became self, self-reflection. And the weird part is like, I would go in and I, I really did become the, the, one of the golden children of my department, right? Really? I was that asshole. Yeah, so 100%. I was cast in a lead almost immediately. And that does not surprise yeah. me because this is what always happens. Like the, the men who go into drama don't tend towards the masculine, right? So that when they get somebody uh, who's like, I played hockey that i mean you know that happened in my high school I, that happened in our theater school too yeah i think anyway, it's backwards sorry, too though because you the more in touch with my feminine my oh i hate that word but like you know like this idea yeah. that like there's a masculine feminine uh the more I, I got in touch with myself and with um art i felt the better i did right and i still think that's to this day, like the more I'm receptive to my own emotions and the emotions of those around me, the better I'm able to handle my career. Yeah. It just sounds like the, the, the bind that we're all in, which is people want you to be a certain way, but when you actually invest in being another way, it's going to make you a better person than artist. but nobody really wants that, but they say they want it. So men are in a bind. I guess what I'm saying is like, you're the first male guest that we've had on that I've known. And I know the struggles that you've been through and it, it opened my eyes to theater school for men straight men specifically or men that identify as straight whatever it's a it's a bind for you too it's a bind for you so i guess 
what did you love about theater school and what were you like, I'm out of here? That's my yeah. question. Yeah. And those are all awesome points. Like, um, it, it continues. The body image thing continues all throughout college. And I do grow closer to myself through that. But I think the thing that I loved about it is that I had that opportunity for the first time in my life. Like hockey was definitely an obsession for me. I tend to gravitate towards obsessing. And so to get into theater school, I didn't take any gen eds. I like, I, I forgot my degree. Uh, I failed out of school finally um, because I just, I wasn't interested in anything except for uh, learning all of the theater that I think at some point I looked at somebody's IMDB and I was like, oh, they were, you know, working for 15 years before they had their big, big, big break right there before they were discovered. And so I was like, oh, I have a lot of catching up to do, right? I didn't do this until my, uh, until I was 18. Now it's time to catch up. So I just started like taking only theater classes. And then the idea that you can sit or lay on the ground in a dark room surrounded by your peers and think about what shape your body is making and what noises are coming out. To me, that was super interesting. To me, I got lost in that world. And I still think to this day, like my brother is a finance guy and he, he'll he never know what it's like to just weep behind a mask because you saw something a, a certain way one day. And so for me, mm. that was a celebrated thing. It was like, congratulations, you you cried behind a mask. I don't know. It still is kind of a bizarre thing to like to reflect on. But uh, my my presentation skills got better right? and my social emotional skills got better. I was spending every night in a rehearsal space, getting to know how to best work with people and how to make mistakes. Like going back, I love college. I don't like the results of college. I don't like the way that it was kind of organized. People were cut after certain years. It was very dramatic. But theater school for me was, I mean, what a dream, right? Like I, I got to wake up, put on a leotard <laughs> and go stretch for two hours and then go into a voice class, talk about my feelings towards words study history uh, and, wish and, you could and do it again. i wish i could Kinda. do it again i want to go what if i apply would i that's a horrible idea i do this all the time <laughs> by the way but like it sounds so great when you guys when you say it i'm like wait i was wasted i wasted my time there i wasted my time uh, i don't know though right like i i think i've spent the rest of my career being like okay so what can i take from that because that's not the real world the real world is not that you get to wake up and do that but like certainly i've recently gotten back into like stretching and morning or like yoga in the mornings and stuff and i'm like oh that was something that really worked for you back then where did that go um and so right like creating my own schedule i think also i got i was supposed to get a b s and not a bfa so i think i definitely missed some of the uh I had more rigidity in my schedule than I think some of my peers. Um, and that made me resist the regular general education stuff and spend more time. Like I committed to every directing project that somebody was doing, right? Like they're in a class and I was like, I'll do it. Um, when they were like, bring one monologue to class, I was like, well, I'll take up the whole class and bring 10. I was super wow. selfish about theater classes as well. Like if nobody else wanted to go, it was like, well, what are we doing here? I'll go. Wow. And so, 
I, I experienced a ton, right? Like I was looking through, I, I was like reflecting the other day and I don't understand how I did all of that in four years or four and a half years or whatever, because I probably did at least 10 projects a year. And then I stayed during the summers and did community theater, like a playwrights festival there as well. And so I was just constantly going, but a, a weird body image thing, right? So uh, freshman, what are they, freshman 15, I put on like the pre- freshman 45. Uh-huh. Uh, drinking a lot, right? Partying a lot, eating uh, food from the food court. Oh, chicken fingers, um, chicken fingers. Oh a lot God. of chicken fingers. <laughs> so much cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then I played, my first like bigger role was Toby Belch in Twelfth Night. So... So, oh, you have extra, you are bigger than other people. Now you're going to play the funny role, right? The drunkard, the this, the that. And I don't know what came to, but I think somebody like made a body image comment in my final assessment that year. And regardless of whether that was a positive or negative thing, I committed that summer to not being what they thought I was. Right. I was like, I'm not just this. What was the I comment? What was the comment? There. Do you remember the comment? I don't remember. I just know that there was a catalyst, right? Something happened in that last little meeting where okay. um, either what was said or what was not said was not what I wanted to, right? And so I was like, I have all, I have a fucking chip on my shoulder. <laughs> uh, I love to prove people wrong. It's like, it's a weird obsession thing as well. Prove myself wrong. And so I, I went and I went running and I went back to this like athlete, like, Oh, this is how I preserve myself. And maybe if my feelings were hurt, right. Like I can focus all of that into this. And I lost, like, I lost a a lot of weight very quickly. And uh, then that next, you know, I was, the romantic leading man the next fall. Interesting. Uh, of in, course. In Philadelphia for story. And to the point where like, I this is how little I understood. They're like, you're doing the Philadelphia story. Will you come and read for like the dad role? And I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, this is the dad role. It's a musical, obviously in my brain. And uh, it's not. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's, it, it's um, Carrie Grant, Straight. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. But I was Beautiful. like, I didn't read the play. I had no idea. And then they cast me as like the leading romantic lead, not um, Cary Grant's character. And I was like, oh, no, this is a terrible idea. They don't know that I can't sing. <laughs> it's not a musical. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite it's thing. It's not a musical. I showed up to the first rehearsal, like ready to like. Oh, no, 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 no. They were like. Mickey, would it be fair to say that like. You've had to figure, I mean, a lot of people come to acting as a way to figure themselves out, right? Like a lot of people like the idea of trying on roles because that's what they're also doing with their own, you know, identity. Um, and, And I do see like a little bit of a trend where a lot of people who do it for that reason maybe didn't get enough reflected back to them when they were a kid or they got reflected only these negative things like you're describing about mm-hmm. getting bullied. So, I mean, would it be fair to say that it's taken you a long time to get to know who you really are? Are you still in a process of figuring that out? Like, did you, how much 
or how little did you know yourself when you were at theater school? Yeah, totally fair to say. Um, I didn't. I didn't really know myself. I definitely was enjoying the process of getting to know myself. Um, but I didn't really have an understanding of like why I was the way I was. Uh, I, and I am definitely still in the process of trying to figure that out. I think I did a play right when I left school called uh, called Wake. And it was about uh, a young man who's a poet who's who thought his father was a poet and turns out there was um it was his brother like my my father's brother was my actual father and it was just like i don't know myself i need to go figure out who i am and that really resonated with me it's like this idea that like sometimes what we feel is just the, the anxiety or the pulls that we feel is just us going, wow, I thought I would have known myself more by now. And um, so, yeah, definitely still trying to figure it out. Uh, my process, ah. my creative process, I mean, like, that's constantly in flux, never the same. And that's like hockey stuff, too. The reason I liked hockey was you could run a set play and it's always going to be different every single time. And the idea of theater, right? Like, you you get up every night and you do it and like something about the way that your day went will be reflected in your performance and and so that's interesting to me yeah interesting i never got that like, <laughs> i never i never i never knew that that acting was about me do you, do you know what I mean? Like, I never got that note, like that message. I missed that whole thing that like, I could bring my whole self to a role. It doesn't mean that it's me, like, but that You're I was allowed to bring my whole self to the role. And in fact, if I did, my acting would be better. Like, I miss so much. I'm just so bummed, but I'm learning it. I'm learning it from from listening to people like you on the podcast and talking with them like, oh, I'm helping to, to, when I teach now, I'm like, bring you, you're helping me. The other thing I want to say is that when well, I saw you, Mickey, in mm-hmm. my first time seeing you in a lead role or any role was at the greenhouse, uh, I don't know, Athenaeum in Henry Moore's Melting, this play. And I had never seen Mickey act. And someone was like, and, and your I mom wanted was like, to go see him. I'm like, oh, so I'm sure that there was anxiety. Probably, I was like, can we terrible. please talk like, afterwards? I, so I'm sure I don't know what I'm doing. I have my own problems. Like, why am I going? I went to this. That was great advice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gave you terrible advice. I was like, go to LA. You're going to be famous. But like, yeah. Well, anyway, so I saw this play. I saw you in the play and I was like, this is one of the best actors I've ever seen in my life. It, it, I, I, I was blown away. I thought, oh, this kid knows what the fuck he's doing and commits 125% on stage, which is 
It just was miles ahead of what everyone else was doing on stage, but not in a real snarky way, in a real working man sort of a way, so that you don't hate Mickey because you're like, oh, this is a good person. They just really are committed to what the fuck they're doing. I had never seen that from an actor your age because we're what because you're like. Because he gets obsessed, right? Because you get I obsessed with your roles it. and you and put I was everything like, into it. Oh, but you know, like you, this kid is the like real saying, deal. You know, like, like I, 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 that maybe I was avoiding and it shows through my work. I was avoiding all of the other things that were sitting outside of that, right. That like were valuable pieces of, of insight that I could have learned about myself. But like, I, uh, at that point, Jen, like I was moving to LA because I did not have a home, right. Like uh, it was a warmer climate. It, like I, had no money to my name whatsoever. I struggled with addiction. I, right, like I had all of these personal life crises going on, but theater is a place where you can go for two hours, whether you're seeing it or whether you're in it and totally just purposefully forget everything else. Mm -hmm. And so I put off a lot of like personal growth till probably like 30 years old at least. Like real is true, like this might work for you, but it is destructive. I put off that work because I was like, oh, it serves me, right? Like it gives me energy to put into my career. Um, it is going to better me somehow to, to hurt. How do you, how, how does the casting world see you? Like, who are you as an actor? <laughs> That's a good question. I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm, um, I think I play intense characters. I, I play blue collar uh, characters, uh, definitely people with an emotional depth, uh, like an intense emotional depth. Um, I am, I'm starting to play the good guy all of a sudden, which is interesting. Um, I like playing the best friend role. And I think I kind of look at every role as the best friend role. Um, you know, I am there to do something. Which is why they want you for the leading man role. Look, this is, it makes perfect sense to me from an outside. I'm like, they want you. So you are finally, what I'm hearing too, is like, you're finally, what you said is like starting to do the work on yourself, right? Like as a person, as a human, as a father, as a, as a, as a um, husband, as all the things, right? So it makes perfect sense that you are now playing the good guy and also that you now um, are wanted by people to play the lead, even though you want to play the best friend and you play leads yeah. too. I'm not saying you don't want to play the lead, but it, it just all makes sense. It all makes sense that when you work on yourself, if, and if you're lucky and all the things yes, that the then you I end up your career advances when you do the work you on yourself five years, internally, right? but five it takes years, a while. Then you can decide whether or not things are working. And that's like the um, the small business perspective, right? Like you open a small business on the corner, your first year you're you're looking at like high expenses, right? Like you just expensed your entire store. You're going to be in the red for a while. Second year you maybe are developing a, a customer client uh, relationship. 
Um, third year, maybe you have a personal crisis and things take a step back. Fourth year, whatever. Fifth year, by the time the fifth year goes, you go, I have some solid data to work with, right? Maybe this network isn't working for me and I need to go to a different network. And I, I subverted a lot of that advice. I didn't listen to any of it. I went from New York back to Bloomington, Normal, Illinois to try to get my degree and failing out again because I did too much theater up to Minnesota, Chicago, California, Colorado, back to Chicago in about three years. Oh, wow. four, four years, yeah. And so, so then awesome. I got back to Chicago and I was like, oh, this is what it's like when you stay in a place for a little while. Maybe people oh. have a chance to respond to the postcards that you're sending them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what's that whole thing like now since I've been out of it for so long? Uh, trying oh, when you're first starting out and trying to get people sense. to know you, you send you still send them postcards with your with your headshot on one side or something like that. Snail mail, baby. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, headshots, right? I would print, go to Kinkos or FedEx or whatever. I'd print tons of headshots, tons of resumes, tons of cover letters, and I'd send them to everybody. Which maybe is what I'm learning. <laughs> you know, now thankfully I have representation. I've had representation for a really long time. Is that like maybe be targeted with the people that you want to work with mm-hmm. and focus on that rather than like, will anybody like me, please? Will anybody? <laughs> right, right. But maybe I had a better, I, I've never thought about this. I submitted to two agencies or one agency right. that called me in, a really big name in Chicago. And they called me in and they kept calling me Maki. Like, hey, Maki, come here. And then they were like, uh, yeah, my name's Mickey. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Maki. That was Wait, the thing that they called excuse me. me. <laughs> excuse me. Maki? And I was like, well. That's the like, greatest fucking the name I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it's not your name, no. but it's a great name. So okay. they brought me into the room and they were like, okay, give us your monologue. But look at the wall. There's a spot on the wall. Look at it. So I did the whole thing. And they were like, how are you expecting to have a good relationship with casting if you just stare while you talk the entire time? And I was like, oh, uh, I thought you said like stare at the wall and talk. And they were like, you know what? I think like with your look and your experience, um, we could do a trial contract. And I was like, maybe finally at that point, did I have the guts in my life to be like, I don't need just anyone to to be my friend or to work with me. Maki needs somebody he can really connect with. Yeah, that knows my name, you know, that read the email. And then sure enough, I, I, I reached out to somebody who I knew was an agent and I had a meeting with them and I was like, hey, is that how all of them should go? Because if it is, I'll just take the contract and I'll work in the industry and whatever. But if it's not, I'm not going to sign with somebody who's a dick and who's like too overwhelmed to actually build new relationships. Let me go and focus on somebody who like wants to have a conversation about what I think of the industry and my place in that. It makes me sick to think about how many people who are in those positions of power, it's, that's all they're interested in is the sort of the power play of it all. Like this thing that we start doing when we're kids. And for some people, we don't ever outgrow it, which is like, I don't need you. You need me. You know, the way that I show my, you know, whatever 
ability in the world is to reject you instead of, you know, to be inclusive or, or even just, I mean, just a kind thing, because by the way, nobody has, is named Maki. So they, they, they're, they're, they should have had a sense of like, wait, we, are we saying this right? I mean, right. Shouldn't, shouldn't they have had some idea that. I, I do like, maybe I'm a sucker. And lately I've been trying to, to think of like, what are all of the reasons that people could act like that? Because I don't get it, right? Like, I don't get like the, uh, I'm going to go brag to people about how I treated this person like shit. And I, I think maybe it, like it, it is just a really deep, deep personal thing that's going on that's totally clouding them being aware of how they're treating other people at all. Because I don't... I, it's, it's gotta be because I don't, I, I've never heard anybody brag to me about how they treated somebody like shit in my entire life. I know that that's a thing that generally as humans, we feel deep shame about and how maybe that deep shame manifests is just constantly being so focused on, on you and the things that you have to do and, you know, maintaining your own personal level of success and survival. It's this fucked up survival tactic of like, uh, nobody else matters. Only what I'm doing matters. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker. No, I think it's, I think you're right. Like, I think people get so caught up in their own process. They don't even know. Some people do, but I think that's like the exceptional sociopath or psychopath. (laughs) But like most people are just like low level narcissists. We're all such low level narcissists mixed with our childhood trauma we don't even realize what we're doing. I, I swear, because I have confronted people. You know that? I've I've confronted bigwigs and said, do you realize that you're talking like this person is a piece of shit? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh my God. Most people don't understand. And most people it's are bizarre. so far from understanding that the, that the farthest they'll ever get with that is just a defensive, well, no, you're the asshole for pointing out. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's, that's usually the limit. It never ceases to amaze me. And yet it always amazes me. No, that's the same thing. I just said that <laughs> <thing twice. laughs> uh, how with, you know, my, the thing I'm always interested in is getting from surface to depth with people, but I think like maybe 98% of the population is just really interested in staying, or maybe it's just because of where I'm living. Yeah. Right now. I, I don't know, but I, I find that not only do people not want to go from surface to depth, they're frightened and weirded out by you wanting to do that. You know what I mean? Cause my thing is always like, we all know that the weather is how it is. Like, can we just like, let's skip that part. Let's go to the next thing. And people don't like that. They really don't like it. No, people are not interested in that because what they have to, I am convinced that at the, at the core of that is, Oh, one day I'm going to die and everyone I know is going to die. I can't go anywhere and near if we it, talk yeah. about real, if we talk about real stuff, it'll inevitably lead me to, oh my God, everyone I love is going to die and I'm going to die and I can't handle that. So I'm going to do drugs or do anything else instead or not, or talk about that's the weather. Where I, not the, the talking about the weather, but that's where I'm at right now is that I'm, I'm like, oh, the most important thing that we could do right now is acknowledge the fact that we're going to die. Because it's so much freedom, by the way, because it's not like, hmm, sorry to spoiler alert it, but everybody is going to die. So like, let's instead of being spending your entire life afraid of that thing, 
embrace it because you're not going to die right now necessarily. <laughs> like, you know, like you could make right now more interesting, right? And enjoy right now. Right. Mm-hmm. In a way. Or even yeah. notice yeah. right now. Just notice that we're actually alive and, uh, 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 and that we are um, here now doing things, talking, eating, all the things that we do. It's happening. I think that that's what I've come to in this podcast and in my life is like, if the most I ever get to is, oh, this is actually happening. I'm here. This is going on. How I feel about it is how I feel about it. But this is what's going on acknowledging. Then that's going to have to be enough because uh, to go deep with people is such a treat and so rare. But like, I have to still stay true to the acknowledging part. Like, oh, you you might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to acknowledge in my own way that 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 we're all going to die and, and that's part of the impermanence. I'm going to acknowledge it to myself because if I don't, it just really leads to Right, you just feel so like isolated and desperate and yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of uh, isolated and desperate and alone, you, you mentioned um, going through some issues with addiction how how do you could you say anything about that and where how you yeah how you got out of it yeah uh never out of it um right like i am an addict through and through right like it's anything to make me feel better uh (laughs) and then like learning what those good things are and what leads to right this path of like destruction uh, I think really early on, uh, I was constantly the kid that was, if he only put his mind towards things, right? Like if he only focused on this thing. Uh, and so that got me on this idea of like, whatever it is, and this is where obsession came in, right? Like if I could just focus on something and then I would dive 110% in. And so what were the things that allowed me to do that, right? Like First, it was, you know, cigarettes, right? Like I could just sit there and read a play and read another play and smoke cigarettes. Um, I guess, right, like definitely alcohol is in there. It's not like my primary. I I, I do not go into functioning or non-functioning relationships with this where I'm like, oh, I need this to function or I need this not to be totally dysfunctional. But early in my life, it was definitely a medicine of some sort, right? Like I was definitely looking at it for relief. I drank a lot and I drank, uh, right. It was binge. Like that was the the way that we drank in high school and college. You had three hours to drink. You better drink a lot of it. Right. (laughs) That's so true. So that was a thing. And then Adderall became a thing for me where it was like, this is something that allowed me to sit and work for hours on end. And certainly I think that like, if I'm going to go to a a psychiatrist, they would be like, I think you definitely have some traits that are right there with ADD or ADHD, but I didn't. And so I would just abuse on my own, right? Like, and I, I looked at it as the investment opportunity of a lifetime, right? It was like, you're going to constantly have this on you. You're going to constantly be taking it. You're going to constantly be working. And that led to cigarettes, right? That led to me avoiding all of my own personal shit. Um, And then, right, like the way I uh, quote unquote got out of like the throes of it was total collapse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You had to go all the way to the bottom. All the way, right? Uh, Many times where I thought that I was going to die, right? That I thought I would like, um, I would not sleep at night. 
um, and a very functioning, right? Nobody, nobody knew, at least that I know of, right? Like, I'm sure, like, now looking back, like, oh, something's going on there. Like, um, but it was a whole production for me, right? Like, uh, I had the hand sanitizer to stop my hands from smelling like smoke, right? So nobody needed to know that, like, that was my preparation to get myself right for you know, the audition. And then it was, you know, I've got gum, I've got Gatorade to keep my body, like all of the, the electrolytes in my body up because I haven't slept in two days. I've got like coffee. Um, and so like financially fell apart. Right. And no good reason, right. Like best point in my career probably was like, you know, commercial money coming in, episodic money, money coming in, and for me, this was just like, great, double down on my investment. Great. Like, be better, be better. And, and my version of better was more, uh, more altered, I guess. Um, so never out of it. Uh, emotionally, my relationships fell apart, right? I stopped paying attention to what other people, how other people were reacting around me. And that kind of led into acting, I guess, a little bit. That like, it, it wasn't maybe until like five years ago. And Jen, this is where I, I'm a little bit jealous of you, is that like, I did think that, like what you said earlier was like, I never considered myself like the main part of Jen, the actor being so valuable to whatever character I'm playing. I never considered that the shit that I was trying in rehearsal, like oh. just like a kid in a, in a box, like had real time effects on the other actors that I'm right. working with. Right. I, I never considered and that either. Like, but you're right. Like it goes both ways. Right. If you're in a, if you're in a meeting with a, a, a coworker in an office and they never focus on one idea long enough for everyone to kind of like gel with the idea you don't work with that person for very long, even if what they're doing isn't abusive or hurtful or anything like that. It's just not conducive to like, right. Especially for theater where you're in Chicago, right? Like you get $300 for an eight week stipend. And so you better really get everybody better really be getting something out of that rehearsal time. And I was selfish, you know, like this is about me and my journey and my character and, and everybody else better fight for that and theirs. And that's what conflict is. And that's what drama is. What are your feelings about the stories that we hear about famous actors who do that, who still do yeah. that? That's still their process. Does it make you mad? Yeah. Um, I think it's so misguided, right? And, and I'm thankful that I've had enough experiences where I'm like, oh, you're, you were kind of the dick there. You, that could be bad. That could develop, right? Uh, or somebody who pulled me aside and was like, you know, that just wasn't, you know, necessary or whatever. Really, really early on, I moved to New York and I was in a play festival and it was like about, um, what is that? The witch who they shove into the oven. What was that called? The Hansel, Hansel and Gretel. I was Hansel, I guess. And we were pushing the witch into the fire and they were like, yeah, you used a broom and we didn't have a broom. And so like fresh out of college, Mickey was like, here, hand on the butt. And afterwards, this woman came up to me and she was like, don't do that ever again. And I was like, oh, my God, what did I do? I have no idea. I'm so sorry. 
And at first I was really kind of, of course, like, of course. Oh, come on, like, what are we going to do? Like you needed to get in the oven. So like, let's help you out there. And it was my first time being like, Oh wow. And she was older than I was. And so to me, that told me that she's been hurt in this process. And, and that through whatever trauma that she's been through, like, this is not the the road to working with other people, right? And so there's just like little moments like that, that I think if you're so blind, if you're so like, I need to get to the top, I need to get to the top, I need to get to the top. It's really easy to just think that everybody is being sensitive. Right, right. It's like, that's like this, this whole reckoning, this whole reckoning that the arts and humanity and the US and everyone is doing, which is like, that may be true. You said something really important to me, which is it may be true that people are overly sensitive. You didn't say this part, but I, I think people can be, I can be overly sensitive. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. And yeah. it's also true that that is not the way to working with others. So like both are true. Like I have sensitive issues and you notice that like doing that kind of behavior is actually not conducive to doing good art and creating and um, not and getting jobs, the whole thing. So like, it's interesting. It's like you took the note and actually took it, whether you took it all in or whatever, you took the note. But a lot of these dudes aren't taking the note. They're not getting the note. They're seeing it as uh, the people are oversensitive, which they might be, but they're also not taking the note. Like take the note, you know? Take the note. Absolutely. That's something like in college that we were constantly reminded is like, you don't have to respond. No. Just take it, write it down and think about it for a, for for a night and then come back and like but like what what I hear a lot of more successful people do is go not a lot, but some is they're like, yeah, I'll write down the note and I'll throw it in the garbage, right? Like it serves me no purpose whatsoever. Um but uh Yeah. Yeah, and oh that's gosh, tricky. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I just I just I like what you said there about like you took like that happened to me on set on ER. I was being a goofball because I was mm. so petrified that I was being an asshole, not on purpose, but I was an asshole. And someone pulled me aside. It was actually Leonard Nimoy's son who directed the episode, Whoa. pulled me aside and said, Listen, all this stuff you're doing with your co whatever star, um, it's costing us a lot of money. It's like $5,000 a minute, whatever you're doing there, and you're pulling focus. And so you're actually now a bad business investment. And I was like, uh, and I was- You never told me this story. I just wow. I just remembered it. Look, I buried so much shit. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, I was petrified, horrified, embarrassed, and, and, and mad and mad because, right, mm -hmm. like, why shouldn't I get a chance to take up space and be big? But here's what I wasn't. Mm considering is that I was part of a whole I was part of a team this wasn't the gen it, even if it is your show it's not your show so it opened my eyes to like people are watching people are wanting to work with you that you don't do stuff like that or you'll only work once at this place and I was like oh what I do matters that's what I walked away with like actually what I do matters because it's affecting other people. And I was so mad and so embarrassed. The best thing that could have happened to me. And he wasn't a jerk about it. He wasn't a jerk. He was straight there, up. 
there's definitely like a two sides to this, right? Because for a lot of actors, the majority of actors, we're hopping in. We're hopping into a process, we're hopping into a team, and we are just expected to go and get in there. And so like whatever kind of like, the good, the bad, and the ugly comes with that. But then the other side is that you have these, these stalwarts, right? Like these very mega figures who are, um, who, who the production comes to them, right? Like they are the, you know, it's, you know, Sophia Bush and not that Sophia Bush is this like awful stalwart, but like, right. Like on Chicago PD, it's about you and the, the, the series leads, right? Like the writers come in, the directors come in and they kind of conform these stories around you. Right. And so, uh, and not that I've gotten to experience that by any means, but in the more independent film scene, right? Like I've gotten to understand what it's like to be with production for 30 to 60 days and to show up and see people on a daily basis and to see, see former me selves coming in and fucking around in the background and fucking things up and understanding how that, but the difference is right. Like we can't look at it like therapy. Like it might be therapeutic, to, to become another character for an hour, but it can't be the way that we get through breakthroughs because or else you just, can you imagine treating everybody like you treated your therapist? Like, right. Have, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I can imagine because- Like you're here for yeah. me. You're here yeah. just for me. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. not, yeah. And I, I, I love um, the idea of if we're going to give feedback, like pulling someone aside, he didn't embarrass me in front of anybody else. and. It was really brutal, but I love taking people aside and saying, hey, this is my feeling and this is why this affected me this way. And I just want to let you know how your behavior is coming across. And just so you know, and I was. He, but I never, I never understand why so many people like Casey Affleck, they, they don't seem to get too many of these repercussions, right? Because or- they started, well, for me, and you know, my Casey Affleck story, I'll tell that another day. Oh, I, oh, I got into a thing. Oh, he came. I'm getting the feeling that you have a lot of I, They're all coming out. They're like, all coming out. but here's what I will say is that nobody has done that to them because a lot of them have grown up in the industry with people like famous brothers like Ben Affleck and they're afraid to give Casey Affleck notes, right? Okay, but um, but yeah, so that's exactly it and people are scared, but no longer are people as scared. They are starting to do it and it's starting to be very public, right? With all these reckonings that are happening. So I think now, hopefully the desired side effect is that people will check their behavior. I don't know if that's going to work. It probably go through a cycle again where nobody gives a shit and everyone's a sexist, racist asshole all the time. Openly. Oh, I hope not. I hope not either, <laughs> but it's cyclical unless there's real internal yeah, change. Yeah. So, right. But anyway, um, I, I think that's why Gene, like, I think that they, they don't get called because people are afraid to call them on their shit, but now they're starting to, like, I've heard stories about big wigs being pulled aside and being like, Hey, Hey, I'm the, um, uh, um, intimacy coordinator on this, um, movie. And what you just did is totally inappropriate. And we'll actually, um, be asking you not to come back if you do it again to like famous people. Thank God. So. And, and there's, so there's this, the, that side of it. And then there's this other side where we're starting to see people being celebrated for not, not only the call out, but, but the, um, the opposite behavior, right? Like the, the, the stuff that we want to model ourselves after. 
And like for example, um, Chicago PD for season four, I was on there for like one day, and there's this scene where in a bar and an extra um, is playing a bartender, and we're doing a few takes. And at one point, the director stops. Then this is kind of like the land of TV, where like the director does not the the TV director typically comes in on an episode, right? And um, and they cowtail around the stars and then they get to pick on the co-stars or not necessarily guest stars, right? They're guests, but like the co-stars is like, the guinea you, pigs. you are the, you are the, guinea, pig. the guinea pigs. And so this director just zeroed in on this bartender and was like, what are you doing? You had it in your right hand the first time, your left hand the second time, right hand. How am I supposed to know which one to pick in front of everybody, right? And Sophia Bush just goes, hey, did you get the take that you liked? And he's like, well, yeah. He goes, well, then why don't you just lay off them? Good. And it was like, good for her. Holy shit. Yep. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a big. Right. Thing. But it was this very like, and, and it did quiet, quiet as mouth. We moved on. Right. And I just remember looking at her with this totally different light of like, and, and she's, you know, like there's plenty about the way that she handled her Chicago PD contract about like saying like, this is not the set for me. This is not the set for me for this reason, this reason, and this reason. And unless these things change, I'm opting out of my seven year contract early. And they were like, yeah, right. We'll sue you. And she was like, no. And they, and like, and now she's got a development deal yeah. at whatever. Um, and she's on a new show now, I think. Yeah. And so you see stuff like that and you're like, Proof of concept is not like you, you're Jared Leto and you send people condoms and that's, you know, celebrated, even though like fuck award shows, right? Like they want to like uh, give awards for people being children. Um, right. But like that's going to be celebrated in the real world of money residuals and like actual influence. Maybe not social influence, but like industry influence. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!